few years back, I was working as a junior high pastor down in South County, in Aliso Viejo. And uh, honestly, some of my favorite memories in my entire life came from the the six years that I worked directly with junior high students. It's one of those quirky and odd kind of age groups that I think everyone kind of who works with them gets into it by default. All of us who were youth pastors or are youth pastors want to work with high school because that's cool and hip and whatever. Their problems are real and exciting and somehow we often kind of end up just falling into this world of junior high. But when you get into it, you find out that junior hires are just the most amazing and smelly people in the entire world. (laughs) Like, I think we always focus on the smelliness, and it's true, trust me, when boys start to have BO, but their nose doesn't tell them they have BO, and you put them all in a small little cabin for an entire week in the middle of nowhere with no parental guidance and a lot of mud, things just get out of hand really, really fast. But it was on a trip just like that back in 2015, where I took a group of junior hires, a couple hundred of them, up to Hume Lake up in the Fresno kind of mountains up there. And we spent some time at Hume, and Hume is, for a lot of people and a lot of kids across California, it is the pinnacle of their year. It's an exciting, amazing, just epic place to be. It's one of those camps where if you go to Hume and you stop going to Hume, it doesn't, it just pales by comparison something really cool and special about what they do there and, what, and really what God does there. And what I found in the years of taking students up to Hume Lake and other camps as well is that there are moments that you get, moments that you get when you truly strip everything else away and say for a week, we're not going to focus on all of the other things in life. We're not going to focus on the problems at home or the distractions on our phones. We're just going to focus on God, each other, and throw in a whole lot of fun. It was on one of these trips that I met a student named Timmy. And Timmy um, was kind of new to our group. Being in Aliso Viejo, we had a lot of kids who uh, lived in Laguna Beach, and Timmy was one of those kids who got brought with him to this retreat. And what's interesting is I think if you grow up in Laguna Beach, there's no way you ever know like how good you have it, you know? And the conversation that I'm going to lead you guys into shows that this kid obviously did not know how well he had it. But we're sitting um, one night after worship. You know, like, we're, we're, we're a day into this camp, a day into this retreat, and the speaker's gotten up, and he's left a call, and he's left kind of this, this big kind of ask for students, and he kind of kicks off the whole, um, you know, retreat differently than, than I've seen before. Usually, speakers will build and build and build, and by, like, Wednesday or Thursday night, they've built into this spot where they say, okay, so are you ready to receive Jesus? And they've been building to that moment. This speaker this year decided to do something totally different. He went for it on night one. And he told us as youth pastors he was going to hit it again later in the week. But he really wanted to start this retreat off by really saying, hey, there is something bigger than you. There's a God who is greater than you. And I just really want to give you the opportunity to begin to ask the questions, am I someone who wants to yield my preference so that I can choose God in his way? 
And a few students stood back or, or kept back from the end of this chapel just in a space where they were given to just kind of sit and, and experience life and, and kind of just wrestle with that. And us as youth pastors were told, hey, we want you to hang back and spend time talking to these students. And having done youth ministry for a long time by that point, I, I learned just kind of basically how these conversations go. There's a general kind of weight to it. Here's kind of what God's doing. I'm ready for this X, Y, or Z. But I had never and have never experienced a conversation quite like what I had with Timmy. Sixth grader, young kid, sitting in his seat. We met the day before. I go up to him. I sit down and I say, hey, what, what's going on in your heart? What's happening? He says, I don't know. All right. What's going on? What's happening? So, Kevin, I, I, I think that this God is real. I, I think that I want to give my life to Jesus. I'm like, all right, uh-huh, good, good. But I can't. Well, why is that? So, because if I give my life to Jesus, there is no way that he's going to give me the house that I need and want. Kevin, you got to understand, at 12 years old, I know where I'm supposed to live. It's like, I don't want a house on the beach in Laguna. That's for the poor people. I want, a, I want a house up on the cliffs in Laguna, up on the hillside, because that is what I need. And, and Kevin, if, if I give my life to Jesus, but I'm not going to get the car that I want, and my dad drives a Ferrari, so I need that same sort of car. And Kevin, I these are the kids that were in my youth ministry, okay? So he's like, I really need that car. And if I give my life to Jesus, he might have me like, I don't know, like share my stuff with other people, and I don't really like to do that. So I'm not ready to give my life to Jesus. And while it's laughable, it is. There's an honesty in a sixth grade boy that none of us in this room are willing to admit. There's an honesty in Timmy to say, hey, I, I, I buy into this whole Jesus thing, but what I'm picking up on is that if I really, truly, fully step all the way in, it's going to cost me something. going to cost me something. If only we could all be a little more like Timmy. Because if you're here tonight and you are in the same shoes that he was in, someone who's been around the conversation of faith, been around the conversation of what it looks like to give your life to Jesus, and you're saying, man, I'm, I'm there in my mind, but I can't get there fully because there's something that holds me back. I would ask you tonight to think about what is that thing or what are those things that's keeping you from saying, God, I'm gonna totally choose to yield my life to you and trust you no matter what. But for those of us in this room who do profess Christ, who have chosen a relationship with him, I think there's still things in our lives that keep us from being fully, incredibly, deeply in. So I ask you the question, what is it for you that's keeping you from fully devoting your life to Jesus and fully jumping in to life with the church. Acts chapter 2, the passage 
that we're looking at tonight is one of those just incredibly kind of famous passages. It's a, it's, a, it's a cursory passage. It's an umbrella statement that is basically giving us a glimpse into something of the blueprint for what the church could be and ultimately what the church was at its infancy. And what we see when we read this passage is that the early believers devoted themselves to Jesus and they devoted themselves to God's people and that manifested itself by them saying, we're going to like, listen, we're going to be together, we're going to sit under teaching, we're going to pray for one another, and yeah, we're going to give of our stuff because we recognize that God wants to do something bigger through us than we might even want to do in ourselves. And it's one of those passages that if you've been in the church for a minute, you read it and say, that's great, but... That sounds amazing. They sold a lot of their stuff. They gave it away to those who had need. Everyone was in harmony. Everyone was praising Jesus together. They're gathering in large groups. They're gathering in small groups. They're known. They're seen. This is great. But, Kevin, I don't know if this is actually realistic. It sounds good, but it's not the church experience that I've had. And the problem with that is that we have made church a spectator sport. We've turned what is so good and so possible into something that's not about everyone else. It's not about God. Sometimes, I'm just going to say it, it's about us. I'm having a bad day. I'm having a bad week. Maybe I need to go to church and feel better. Just get me over the finish line for the next week. I'm feeling great. It's time to go praise God. And we've done what we do with everything in Western culture, and that's we've made the church all about us. And Jesus would show us that there's something totally and utterly different. One of my favorite passages in the entire Bible is in John chapter 10. And Jesus is talking about who he is, but he kind of ends this this statement about his identity with something really simple. John 10, 10, Jesus says this. He says, I have come that they, we, might have life. And that the life that we might have might be full or abundant or overflowing. And just like Acts chapter 2, I think John 10.10 is one of those passages that can sometimes leave us feeling a little bit wanting, saying that's great in theory, or man, life in heaven's going to be awesome. But you see, I don't think Jesus is necessarily talking about heaven there. He's talking about the here and the now, and he's saying that I have a better way to live. And that better way to live isn't isolated. It's not following me just as an individual. No, no, no. The better way going forward is that God calls us to himself and then he calls us to one another. He calls you to the church. He calls you to the people to your right and to your left to the people who are in your world who love him as well. Because abundant life, guys, is found through a receiving of and a yielding to the Holy Spirit. 
and in self-sacrificial community. So with that lens, let's look back just at the first verse that we looked at at the beginning, Acts 2, 42. It says this. It says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They devoted themselves to fellowship. They devoted themselves to the breaking of bread. They devoted themselves to prayer. Now, we could spend the next 10 minutes just talking about these four things. Teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayer. Because those, in many ways, are cornerstones that we get in this passage for what the church is, in a lot of ways, supposed to do. But I don't want to fully touch on that because I think there's something else that God's been pointing out to me all week long as I've been in this passage. And it's simply the word devoted. Devoted. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. That's not saying, yeah, I caught a podcast on the weekend and I came to church once every five weeks and you know what? Yeah, I kind of understand what's going on. No, no, no. They devoted themselves to the teaching of who God is. Why? Because every single day you and I are being formed by something. Whatever's on the TV, whatever's in a conversation with a coworker, whatever is just going on our world, we're always being formed. We're not tabula rasa, we're not a blank slate, we're not just something where it's like, hey, like I've been reborn and now all of a sudden I'm just going to learn a little bit about Jesus and my life's going to gradually drift towards him. No, 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 you got to understand, friends, is this, is that we all have been formed and shaped by life, by parents, by our family of origin, by the things in our world on a daily basis, And so to be reformed in the image of Christ takes a devotion to saying, I'm not just going to haphazardly step in. No, no, no. I'm going to go fully all into who this God is. Because the way of Jesus, the fullness of life is there. It's accessible. It's free for you to receive. But if you're just sort of inching in on your own time, in your own space, you're never going to fully experience that life that is fully life. They devoted themselves to their teaching. They devoted themselves to fellowship, to doing life with one another. They devoted themselves to the breaking of bread, to remembering through communion and through just life in general, the sacrificial love of Jesus. And they devoted themselves to prayer. Guys, devotion is a problem for us. It's a problem for me. It's that my mind can so easily get distracted. And I think the way that a lot of us approach Jesus, the way a lot of us approach church, is like a friend of mine named David. When I was a senior in college, I got to spend an entire summer up on the Klamath River. The Klamath is this river that kind of separates um, Oregon and California, and it's known for weird people, Bigfoot stories, and whitewater rapids. And so we were there working at, just two camp stories tonight, I guess, working at this whitewater rafting camp, and we would have kids, a lot of them from here, actually, we would have a huge crew every year from Santa Ana, and they would come up, and they would get to experience just a different life 
that they had ever been able to imagine. Like kids who've always lived in places like Anaheim and Santa Ana had never, ever even been to the wilderness, let alone into a river that is roaring with rapids that actually would buck them and throw them into the, the water. But this kid named David was different. He wasn't from Anaheim or Santa Ana. He wasn't even from California. He actually wasn't even from America. David was from uh, the Netherlands. David was from Holland. His dad was the CEO of Philips. You know, like your Philips everything. His dad was the CEO of Philips. And somehow a buddy of his, whose parents also worked for Philips, had brothers who were working at this camp that I was also working at. So David, who knew nothing about Jesus, could care less about Jesus, actually came on a two-week backwoods camping and discipleship trip. He had no idea what God had in store for him. But what we would do is we would spend the entire first week actually at a normal kind of campsite, and we would teach what it looked like to worship God through work. And by work, I mean cleaning toilets, raking trails, and doing all the things that no one ever in their wildest mind wants to do. But then going into week two, we would take them on a three-day rafting trip. It was on this trip that we were going down kind of a main stretch of the Klamath, and we got to this eddy, and eddy's kind of this space on the side of the river where it kind of just, just the water kind of pools, and all of a sudden you can kind of pull off to the side. And so we, we, we row over to, to this eddy on, on the right, and, and we'd say, that, hey, there's, there's this rock up here. And there's a rock, and it's called Lion's Head, and if you look at it from a, a certain lens, it looks a little bit like Mufasa right before he died. And so we say, go over here, and like, we're going to go, and we're going to climb up Lion's Head, which is about 35 feet, and we're going to just start to jump off of it. We did a 65-footer, but that one we won't talk about. So we go up on this 35-foot rock, and we begin to explain to all these students, hey, just this is what you got to do. You got to, when you get to the top, you sit down, and in one motion, you need to push yourself up and off because you actually have to clear some jagged rocks in front of you. And so if you slip, you die, and we get sued. So we really need you to just push up as hard as you can and commit to this jump. And these kids go up, and some of these kids have been here before, and, and they just start jumping and jumping and jumping. And finally, David gets his way up to the top of this rock. And he gets in position, and he just freezes. Like many of us might, right? And I'm sitting with him, and I say, Dave, you gotta, you gotta go. You gotta take the leap. He's like, I can't. No, 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 David, you, you have to jump. It's actually way more dangerous for you to walk back down the rock. I'm not allowed to let you do that. You need to jump. And for about 10 minutes, there's a log jam. Because David is six foot two and shaking because he is afraid to make the leap. And I sat next to him. I said, hey, bro, have you, you've seen these other people today jumping off this rock. Yeah. And you've seen the smiles on their faces after they come out of the water. Yeah, like they're having a blast. Well, can you just like follow their example? Because they've shown you that this works. I don't know, dude. I'm really scared. I said, well, Dave, would you believe me if I said that I've done this rock? Yeah, you work here. Of course you've done this rock. Would you believe me if I said I was nervous the first time I was up in this exact same spot? Yeah? 
Dave, I had to have someone else tell me to trust them because they had done this jump before and they knew it was safe. And David, it's now my turn to sit with you and to tell you that when you take this jump, it's going to be safe. But you're never gonna experience it unless you actually jump in. And all of a sudden, without any ready, set, go, he just jumps. And what was crazy is he didn't jump one time, he jumped 25 times, and we couldn't get him off the rock when it was time to row to the next part of the river. And I've always loved this story because there's something really powerful in it, I think, for each and every one of us, that for whatever reason, there is something that often keeps us from fully devoting ourselves to Jesus and fully devoting ourselves to the life of the church. Maybe you've been burned by the church. Lauren and I have been burned by the church. We're still here. Not this church, but we've been, we're still here. We're still pressing into Jesus. We're still pressing into community. I know it's never fully perfect because guess what? You're there. And because it's one of those things where all of us are messed up, right? All of us bring baggage. All of us bring all of our stuff. But if you're here tonight and you're in one of those two camps, one is the camp that says, man, Kevin, I, I don't know Jesus, and I, but I'm, I'm beginning to think that he is who you guys have been talking about, and I'm, I'm ready to take that leap, but there's something in the way. Well, I would say, hey, look at all of us in this room and just say, hey, what is it about you guys that allowed you to make the leap in trust? But if you're here and you are a follower of Jesus, and there's a nag in your soul that is probably the Holy Spirit saying, this is what's holding you back. This is what's keeping you from being fully devoted. Maybe it's the giving part. Yeah, giving is awkward and it's sacrificial, but it's important. Why? Because God knows that guess what has a hold of all of our hearts more than just about anything else? It's our wallet. Giving isn't so much because it's something that is needed to sustain the church. Giving is what's important to sustain our hearts. Maybe there's something about joining a life group, a small group, a momentum group, and you're just saying, man, I've been in those groups before. And they didn't work out. Nobody likes me. Maybe you're saying, man, if I actually opened up, there's no way. Maybe there's a role within the community where you're able to bless and serve one another and you're saying, you know what? There's so many times where they've talked about the needs that, that exist both to make Sundays happen but even just needs to love on and practically care for one another more and more and more and say, man, I feel like I should maybe like put my, my name on the dotted line but that's just, it's scary for me to check that box on the connect form. I don't know. But there's something that I believe God calls all of us to and he's continually calling us into deeper and deeper and deeper waters. And the question is, will you trust him enough to say whatever that reason is that's keeping you from jumping, I'm gonna give it to God because you know what? The life that's beyond that I don't fully experience yet seems like it's a better life because when I think of my life, it's not that life that is abundant and overflowing and just so, so, so full. You know what? My life's a little... Mm, mm. What's keeping all of us 
from taking just that next step with Jesus, community, and the church. A couple weeks ago, we were kind of sharing just kind of our hearts for small groups. Sharing our hearts for life groups and momentum groups. And was just kind of sharing, you know, hey, like this is what these things can be. And one of the stories that I shared just kind of during church life or announcement time was just that, you know, there, there's something beautiful that, that happens in nature that I think is a beautiful picture of what community at its best is supposed to be. That if you walk into the redwoods, if you walk into Endor Forest, you will notice that redwood trees very rarely grow alone. That if you look at it close enough, they kind of grow in a grove, kind of circular pattern. And the reason is that these trees, which are the largest living things known to man, bigger than a blue whale, have root systems that at their most go 10 feet deep. And you're thinking, man, when the storms come, that's gonna knock that over. And yet they have stood the test of time. And what they do is this, is their their roots only go six to 10 feet deep, but they go hundreds of feet out. And they intertwine with one another to where when one feels pain and doesn't get enough light, doesn't get enough energy, doesn't get enough nutrition, the others send down their nutrition to care for the one. Community within the church at its best, I'll say that caveat, looks like that. On Halloween in 2000. 11, I was in a class at Biola University on the book of Acts. And I'd been having some pretty weird headaches for, for a few weeks at this point. Headaches to where the room would spin, to where I couldn't focus, to where the only thing that would calm it would be to turn the lights off and put a cover over my eyes and a compress on my face. Now I was in school and in this class and we were actually studying, I think it might have even been the same passage, and we were in this place and all of a sudden, literally just this entire um, lecture hall at Biola, about 200 students in this room, just started utterly spinning. And I knew that this wasn't one that I could just kind of wait out. And I lived across, actually not even on campus, I lived like a few blocks off of campus. And so I got out, stumbled out of the classroom, got my phone, and somehow I was able to call Kaiser Permanente's like nurse, you know, helpline. And I call the nurse helpline and, and I say, hey, this is what I'm experiencing. And the nurse, through a somewhat frightened voice, says, I'm not allowed to diagnose you but I'm sending an ambulance to your location. And as a 21-year-old guy, I said, I'm fine, I'll drive myself. She said, no, you're not. Do you have someone who can take you? I said, yeah. And so I stumbled my way, Biola students, stumbled my way past Calvary Chapel, across Biola Boulevard, into my house, it was like four blocks deep that way, walked into my house, still thinking I would drive myself, stupidly. 
And I had my two closest buds, Ben and Andre, just sitting on the couch. And they're sitting on the couch, and they were doing stuff, and they were both dating people at the time, and I knew they both had plans that night, and so I didn't want to burden them, didn't want to bother them, but they knew about some of the pain that I'd been experiencing because I chose to let them into that pain the few weeks prior, and, and they just saw that there was something off about me, that it wasn't even just the normal pain I'd been experiencing, that this time it seemed a little extra, and so they looked at me, and I remember Ben looking at me and saying, hey, are you okay? You don't look okay, and I said, well, here's what's going on. They want to send an ambulance, but I'm just going to go drive to Norwalk by myself. And they said, no, (laughs) we're driving you. And Halloween in the ER is an interesting place to be. Or ER, yeah, whatever. (laughs) We go, and we go to the ER. And my friends who had plans that night, dates that night with girls that were much prettier than me, decided to go and say, no, we love you. You're our brother, and we are just going to sit with you. And for six and a half hours, they sat in a waiting room while I was having tests run. Because doctors thought I had a brain tumor. It ended up being nothing, and they still don't fully know what it was. But that was a night, in a simple way, where I experienced Christian community at its finest. Because Ben and Andre sacrificed what was comfortable to them to care for me. I was the unhealthy tree. They were the healthy trees. And because they were men who were and are completely devoted to Jesus, they didn't bat an eye when they realized this something was going to cost them. They just knew it was the right thing to do. So my hope and my prayer for each one of you is that you will get to experience Christian community as God intended it to be, this ecosystem where we as a group get to experience the fullness of life. And so back to those questions as we close. What is it for you? What's that something that is keeping you from being all in? Whether it's all in with Jesus, whether it's all in with Friends Anaheim, whether it's all in with people in your community, whether it's all in by jumping into a life group or a surf team, what is that thing? And will you trust God? God enough to take the jump. God, we love you. And God, I love that you don't just save people into life just with us and you, but you deemed it so that we would do life with one another. God, I know as I've been prepping this week that there are a few things in my heart that I need to yield to you. Got a few things in my heart that are keeping me from maybe experiencing the depth of devotion that you've called me to. And so friends, what we're gonna do in this last little bit of worship is I just wanna encourage you 
to ask God, what is that thing? Either that you're calling me to or the thing that's getting in the way of me actually taking a deep dive. And if there is just a big something that is just in your heart and you want to receive prayer, we would absolutely love to pray for you. There'll be a few people over here I'm going to be standing over there, a few people over here. We just want to pray for you. And so even like last week, if you guys were here, just take some time. Allow God to do what God wants to do. What God wants to do is minister to you. And last little thing. It's easy for all of us to feel like we're owed something. To feel like, oh, like if this is other churches, I've never experienced it that way. And I don't know why I'm saying this, but The question I think I have for you is, if you're experiencing pain, emotional toil, something that you're saying, man, if God really, if this was all the way it was supposed to be, someone would just know it. My question to you is this, have you shared it with people? Because we like to bury stuff down really, really deep, but where God does his best work is when we're open and honest and say, this is where I'm struggling. This is the roadblock. This is where I'm not fully trusting God. And then in that moment of honesty, the community is then able to rally and care and pray for you. So let's worship.